So we're going to be today continuing on in our Advent series, and maybe you remember from last week sort of what we talked about. If not, I'm going to recap it anyway for those who maybe don't remember or those who maybe didn't hear it or listen to it. But we really focused on the wonder of Christ's birth. We kind of read through the, the whole story from beginning to end of Christ's birth, and, and we sort of looked big picture and also in all of the little details, every little bit of what was happening and taking place and just sort of speaking to the fact that there's just a, a great sense of awe and wonder over every little bit of it. Again, little details, big picture. It's just this amazing, wondrous event that took place that, that really is sort of the, uh, the moment in history that just sort of changed everything for mankind. Before this, or if this had not happened, we have, what, mankind here having rebelled against God, steeped in his sin, uh, justly under the wrath of God, under his punishment, uh, and, and that's sort of the state of things into which Christ comes and, and changes everything, changes the course of human history. He comes, and not just sort of to hang out with us, he just sort of wants to chill with mankind and, and so forth. No, but he comes with great purpose, with great intent. He comes on this rescue mission to ultimately go to a cross and at great cost to himself, taking our place, our sin, our punishment, he makes a way for us to be forgiven. He pays for our sin in full. And if we just repent and trust in him, then, then we're forgiven and we have everlasting life. And so as we think of this, this birth of Christ, again, whether it's sort of that big picture that I, that I talked about, as we think of uh, the little details, every, even every little bit of the story, there's just the sense of, of, of wonder and awe and amazement at every little bit of, of what is taking place. And I want to sort of pick up there where we left off and sort of continue it and to sort of speak to what is only a natural response to understanding and being gripped by the sense of wonder over what took place. This is this great wondrous event that, that is more wondrous and amazing and more important than every other event in human history. And if we really understand that and if we're truly gripped by it, the, the logical outflow of that is to say, we can't keep this message to ourselves. We can't sort of stifle it and, 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 and keep it down, but rather if we're just truly blown away by what God has done, if we just sort of ponder it and say, God most high came and, and became one of us and at great cost to himself, he came on a mission to, to rescue us by, by ultimately taking our place and taking the wrath we deserve. And as we sort of process that and, and we just sort of ponder it and we're in just awe and wonder and blown away by it, where our minds are just sort of blown and we're in amazement. Who, who could imagine this taking place and yet it happened and just sort of rejoicing in this? If that's our, our real natural response, it's only logical that we would say, you know, people need to know about this. We've got to tell the whole world. We have this wondrous truth. We understand what took place, this wondrous, amazing thing that, again, changes everything for mankind. Where there was no hope, now there's hope, this true hope, and life everlasting in him, and being just blown away and rejoicing in this, our response should be, I've got to tell people. I've got, I've got family members who need to know. I've got to tell them. I've got friends. They need to know. I need to tell them. Right? Or co-workers, or neighbors, or just think of the town you live in, or the state, or the country. There are just so many people, the whole world, who do not know, who do not understand. And, and we should just have this feeling of, I've got to reach them. I've got to tell them this wondrous thing that has happened, that has taken place. Because we're just in, in such awe, and we're just sort of rejoicing so wondrously in this great happening that took place. This wondrous thing that Christ did. He came, and he came 
to rescue us. And so that's really what I want to talk about. That's what I want to dig into here, sort of, again, picking up from last week, understanding just this great wonder uh, of the birth of Christ. Now to say, what's the logical response? What's the natural outflow of that? And it's to, in this sense of great wonder and joy, to say, I got to tell people. I have to tell the whole world. And I want to turn, we're going to look at a few passages today. Maybe you already saw them. They're always there in the bulletin. Um, you know, we're going to flip first to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. And I want to come back here to the birth of, of Christ, this story. Uh, and this is the part with the shepherds and the angels. And I really want to sort of look back at this, and, and, and here we're going to see in even just these few verses what this birth is all about. And I know we talked about that last week, but, but it's still sort of the foundation of all that we're talking about this week as well. This is sort of the foundation of this sense of awe and wonder in which we now are to go and share this wondrous good news, this great wonder of Christ and his birth and what he came to do with the whole world. And so we see this here in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. I'll read it for us. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That last verse there, verse 11, really says it all. What Big picture, sort of what is going on here. And ultimately, this is what it's saying. That here we have God the Son, the Lord himself, becoming one of us. Becoming a human, taking on a human nature. Becoming man. That he is indeed that, that long-awaited Messiah. That for generations upon generations upon generations, that the Jewish people have been awaiting. They've been yearning for his coming. When is he going to come? When is he going to show up? When is he going to save? He was to come to save. And, and so they're yearning for his coming. And here's what we're being told. Here is the Messiah. And it's the Lord. It, it, it's God. It's the Son. And what has he come to do to save, right? Today, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, right? In a nutshell, we're told what's taking place here. Here we have God the Son. And again, I talked about this last week, but, but hear this not like you've heard it a million times and you just sort of take it for granted, like, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I've heard this, I understand it, I know it. But, but hear it afresh. Hear it like you've never heard it before. And again, as you do that, there's just going to be the sense of amazement that this took place. So here we have God the Son, and what does he do? He becomes one of us. He becomes a human being. I mean, that should just blow our minds right, right then and there, that God, most high, would, would take on a human nature. It should, should baffle us. We should be astounded that this would even take place. Our minds should be blown. And again, this is the long-awaited Messiah, and he has come to save us from our sins. And to understand there, too, uh, as we do, that, that he saves us from our sins at great cost to himself that he winds up being the one hanging there on a cross, bearing the wrath of God for the sin of mankind, the wrath we deserve, yet he takes it upon himself. And all we have to do is just turn toward him in repentant faith, and we're forgiven. That atoning work is applied to us. We're forgiven. The stain of our sin is washed away. We're restored into a right relationship with God. We have everlasting life. And again, to think about this, God Most High becoming one of us, to go and at great cost to himself rescue filthy wretched you, filthy wretched me from our sin. 
And we should just be astounded. We should be in, in utter awe of this and amazed and filled with such wondrous joy that, that God would do this for us. We have no other way to, to, you know, to get out of the wrath of God. We're stuck in it. We have no hope on our own. We have no way of saving ourselves. We have no way of salvation in any way on our own. And yet God makes a way for us. He becomes one of us. He takes our place. He takes that punishment and delivers us from the wrath that we rightfully deserve, delivers us from our sin, from that captivity that we were in, and gives us everlasting life. And, and as we think about that, as we ponder it here at Afresh, we should just be so blown away, so in awe of this wondrous truth, this, what it is, is the gospel message. We should just be so amazed and blown away, and again, have, have the mindset of, how can I keep that to myself, right? Here is this, this good news of great joy, as the angels say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here's this wondrous, glorious, greatest news you could ever imagine, and are we just going to keep it to ourselves? We're just going to sort of bottle it up and say, oh, this is great news for me, but I just sort of, I don't want to go and have to tell people about it. That's just an inconvenience, or it can be uncomfortable. No, we should just be so blown away, so amazed, so rejoicing in this that it's like, I got to tell the whole world. I have to tell everyone. And I want to read for us, since it sort of reiterates what we just said, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Again, this is sort of summing up, in a sense, the substance of, of Christmas, the birth of Christ, and what he came to do. And it says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And again, hear this not like you've heard it and, and you've understood it for the longest time, but hear it afresh. Again, the idea that God the Father loves us so wondrously, even in spite of our wretchedness and sin, he still persists in love for us so much that he sent his son to ultimately go and die on a cross to make atonement for our sins so that we can be brought back to the Lord, be made to be in a right relationship with him again, restored, reconciled to God, have everlasting life. And just as we think about that, just again, to, to just be so awestruck and, and dumbfounded and speechless and, and amazed that, that God would do such a thing, that God would love us so wondrously to do such a glorious and wondrous thing, to send his son to become one of us, to rescue us from our sin. And, and just being so amazed, so blown away, and, and just filled with joy over this, the natural outflow should be, I have to tell everyone, this is too wondrous, this is too great news for me to just keep to myself. It's too important, I have to tell the whole world. And not only is there the, the idea that, that it should just be the natural outflow, that is certainly true, but in fact, we're explicitly commanded to go and tell people about this wondrous news of Christ, that he came, that he came to rescue us, that he died on the cross, made atonement for sin. And I'm going to turn now to the Great Commission, certainly a well-known passage. This is Matthew chapter 28, and it's verses 18 through 20. I'll read it for us. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want to be fair here. Someone could look at this and say, well, this is this great commission. This is given to the disciples. You know, I, I'm not one of, of those original disciples. 
so it's, it's not for me. It's for them. They're the ones who are to go and do it. Sort of the 12, well, minus you know, Judas at this point. So you know, the 11, it's for them to go and do. And certainly, yes, there's validity to the fact that this is given to the disciples. It's said to them. But it's thoroughly the case that every Christian still has a share in this. Yes, in its initial sense, it was in particular given to them. But this commission, we all have a share in it. Uh, we are all commissioned in this sense to go everywhere we go to be making disciples of all nations, as it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I've talked about this before, there's sort of an evangelistic side to this, this making disciples, and a discipleship side. Typically, this passage is sort of used in the evangelistic sense, and that's how we're going to use it today. That, that's what I'm going to emphasize. But I don't want to negate the discipleship side. This idea of going and making disciples, the idea is sort of go and make faithful and mature disciples, which is going to involve the evangelism, go proclaim the gospel so that people respond with repentance and faith. And that we sort of see in, in the baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But then we see the discipleship side of sort of continuing to train them and mature them in the faith. And we see this in the verse 20 and teaching them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So I want to make sure we understand this, that it's not just the evangelistic side. There is a discipleship side to this commissioning. We are not just to go and make immature disciples, but the idea is to go and make mature and faithful disciples, which involves the evangelism and the discipleship as well. But again, today we're going to focus on the evangelistic side. And again, this isn't just for the disciples themselves, those 11 at that point. We all have a share in this, and we are commanded to go and, and be witnesses for Christ. Do that evangelism and the discipleship, but sort of focusing on the evangelism. We are to go and be faithful witnesses for Christ, to proclaim the truth of the gospel everywhere we go. You know, that doesn't mean you have to go to some far-off nation where not many people know about Jesus to somehow be faithful to this. There are those who have that calling, and, and that's great, and that's wonderful. But, but even just sort of as we go about our daily lives, as you're in the workplace, as you're at the grocery store, as you're just out and about, and you're doing your Christmas shopping or, or whatever, in our neighborhood, at all times, even in your families, amongst your friends, at all times, we need to be witnesses for Christ and be sharing the gospel with those who haven't heard, who don't understand. Uh, and we need to be faithful to the Great Commission. So here, as we think uh, of sort of the, the wonder of Christ's birth, uh, of what took place, and, and sort of the natural overflow here being that this, we're just sort of captivated by, by Christ and what he did, that he came and he came to rescue us. And we're just sort of in awe and wonder and amazement over this and, and filled with such joy. And the natural outflow of that should be, I just got to tell people, this is just such wondrous, glorious, good news uh, that causes such abundant joy and people need to know about it. And it is of, of the utmost importance that, yes, that's the natural outflow, but also there's an explicit command. We are called explicitly to do this. It is the natural outflow. It should be. But in fact, we are explicitly commanded to live this out and go and be telling people all about Christ, that he came, that he died, that he rose again. We need to be faithful to this command. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, I would say that the American church is not the most faithful in regard to living out the Great Commission. And even if we think of sort of specifically New Hope Chapel, we've certainly said that it's something that we as a church aspire to, but in all reality, it's probably not one of our strongest areas. Uh, you know, maybe more in the discipleship side of things and sort of raising up mature believers. Maybe we're better on, on that side, of, which is part of the Great Commission, but in regard to the evangelistic side, probably not our strong suit. And I'd say that's sort of true for the American church generally, that there's just sort of this real struggle and lack of faithfulness in, in living out the Great Commission. 
And I sort of want to speak to this, you know, and sort of talk about, you know, why is that? Why, why do we sort of struggle with this? We're commanded to do it explicitly here in Scripture. We have this great commissioning, uh, which, which we shouldn't even view as this awful burden, like we have to go and do it. But we should view it as this great joy that we get to uh, have, a, have a role in this wondrous God, that, that, this wondrous work of God that he is doing, of, of going and building up his kingdom and reaching people and, and saving them. And we get to play this wondrous role in this great and glorious work of God, and we should be celebrating it. It shouldn't be, I guess I have to do this great commission thing. I'm called to do it. But rather, it should be, what a great joy, and we should be celebrating it and eager to live it out. And yet, all too often, that doesn't really seem to be what takes place. And, and I'd say that there are a lot of sort of obstacles, I think, for us, if we're going to be honest about it, things that sort of prevent us, reasons, not, not valid reasons, but nonetheless reasons, why we sort of struggle to live out the Great Commission. So I want to, practically speaking, talk about those a little bit. I'd say one of them is just sort of the culture around us. If we think of the culture that we're in, the, the, the mindset of the culture is sort of, you know, in the privacy of your home, you can believe what you want. Like, that's fine. Have your own beliefs when you're in your own house, you're sort of in your own private world. But once you walk out of your front door, once you're in sort of the public arena, the public sphere, the culture sort of says, you know, leave your faith behind. Check it at the front door when you walk out of your house. Uh, don't bring that into the public arena. Don't bring that into the workplace right? What you do on your own time, that's fine, but don't bring your faith into the public sphere. That's sort of the culture's thinking. And all too often, we kind of buy into that, or, or we allow it to sort of bully us into following it. And, and, and so, because that's the mindset around us, we sort of, okay, I don't want to buck that, that cultural view, and so I'll just sort of keep my faith to myself. I'll kind of be quiet about it when I'm out in the workplace, out in the world. And, and so, we sort of buy into that a bit. I would say another reason, not that this is an all-exhaustive list, I'm not going to name every obstacle or reason why we don't share our faith, but I'm sort of going to touch upon a few. I think another reason is that, in all honesty, we're just sort of afraid of the response. We think, you know, well, if I go up to somebody, and maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone who lives next door, or someone at work, or maybe it's just someone you just bumped into, but you just sort of feel like, hey, you know, I'm feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I think I should share with this person, sort of steer this conversation to spiritual matters. Uh, but I think all too often we're concerned about what the response is going to be. You know, and certainly there can be a variety of responses. There can be the response we really want that we'd love to see where they're really receptive and, and maybe they're sort of tell me more, you know, they're eager to hear a little bit more, keep telling me about this, or maybe we can meet again and you can tell me some more. Maybe they're sort of all in. They just sort of, they get it, they understand it and sort of like, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. I, I'm going to repent and, and believe in Christ and trust in him for forgiveness. And you just get to celebrate this wondrous thing of someone receiving life everlasting, entering into the kingdom. Uh, that's certainly what we desire, but that doesn't mean that's always how it plays out. I would say that's not the majority of the cases where that's just immediately what happens when you go and, and share, share your faith. That's not going to be the majority of them. I'd say you often get a, a frequent response of sort of people are polite. I would say for me, this seems to be the most common response, at least in my experience. Maybe you have a different experience, but where people are polite enough about it, they don't want to be rude and mean, but they sort of like redirect the conversation to some other topic. You know, uh, and I notice this for me, even if I'm just out and about and somehow it comes up, you know, oh, what do you do? And oh, you're a pastor. And you can tell this like this moment of awkwardness. I don't know if they're thinking in their heads, like, did I say something that he would have been offended by? They're sort of hitting the rewind button and thinking, did I use any bad words? Oh, no, he's a pastor. What does he think? 
But I think they're also thinking like, oh no, what do I say? Is he going to like go and like beat me over the head with, with the gospel and the Bible? And you can tell this sort of this desire to sort of steer the conversation to, to something that's just sort of neutral and, you know, unoffensive. Or, or if it, and not just in the cases of, well, what I do for a living comes out, but if I'm sharing about, about Christ a bit, I find that often, oftentimes, and again, I'd say for me, it's probably the majority of cases where people are polite, but they kind of look for an opportunity to get out of the conversation. And that's fine. I did my part, and, and that's how they're choosing to respond, and that's fine. But I think what we're particularly concerned about, and I'd say this isn't a majority of instances, but it does happen. I mean, one has to be honest about it and realistic, is at times you can bump into someone who winds up being antagonistic toward Christians, toward the Christian faith. They don't like Jesus. They don't want anything to do with him. And you go up to them and you wind up sharing with them. And suddenly there's this great confrontation and so forth. And all too often, because we're concerned about that, that potential response, we fail to share at all. And so we're just so concerned, what's this response going to be? Uh, maybe we're even thinking like, hey, if I'm going to share with this friend, what if they don't respond well? What if like they just write me off and I'm going to ruin the friendship and so forth? I think often we're just concerned about what's going to come about in regard to a response. And so we just let it prevent us from sharing at all. And it shouldn't be. We should be willing to, to say, hey, whatever the cost, however they respond, that, that's, that's sort of up to them how they choose to respond. I just need to be faithful to the Lord's command. And he calls me to share this gospel message that I'm just so in awe of, so rejoicing in, and I just can't help but want to share it as well and just leave the rest up to the Lord, leave the results up to him. I'd say also if we're going to be honest about it, I think all too often what, what causes us to be hesitant to share is that we care an awful lot about what people think. And we're sort of thinking, you know, if I share with this person, maybe this is like a coworker, or a friend, and you like, you know, they think highly of you and you like that, you know, you sort of like the idea that they think, oh, you're a great guy or woman or whatever. And, you know, uh, well, you know, if I go and I share this stuff about Jesus, are they going to think like, oh, he's one of those He's one of those religious types. He really believes that stuff, like Noah and the ark and all of that. Oh, you're one of those. And we don't want people to think negatively about us. We don't want them to think all those terrible things about us. And so we just decide sort of to protect ourselves from people thinking poorly of us. Really, we shouldn't care what they think. We should care what God thinks and just say, hey, I care what God thinks and I'm just going to be faithful to him and his command. But instead, we're thinking, you know, I care what people think. I don't want them to think negatively of me. So I just, I won't even go there. I just won't broach the subject. I won't touch it. Uh, and I'd say often we allow that to prevent us from, from sharing the gospel message. I think also uh, uh, something that prevents us from being faithful to the Great Commission is, in all honesty, we just don't love other people enough. Because if we truly were driven by love for others, if we loved them so wondrously, if we really profoundly loved our coworkers and our neighbors, not just sort of like, I like you, you know, like, yeah, if we bump into one another while we're getting the mail, we can chat it up and that's fine. But I mean, like, really, truly caring about them and loving them, we would be willing to be a little uncomfortable, even if it makes us uncomfortable, out of love for them, we would be willing to share the gospel because we understand that, hey, they don't, they don't know about Christ. They're, they're stuck in their sin right now, and they're under the wrath of God, and I love them, I care about them. I don't want that for them. I want them to understand the truth, to receive Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, to receive everlasting life. And so if we really love them, we'll be willing to have an uncomfortable conversation if we're concerned about maybe it might be uncomfortable. We'll be willing to risk a potential, you know, 
negative response or we'd be willing to risk them thinking negatively about us and thinking we're one of those crazy people and so forth. We just wouldn't care about that stuff because we'd be saying, I just love you enough to, to be willing to share this and whatever the cost, I don't care. I care about you. I love the Lord. I want to be faithful to him. I love you. I want the best for you. And so I'm going to share this with you. I think also as we think of you know, obstacles, thing that, things that keep us from sharing the gospel message, I think one, and this ties in very specifically with what we're talking about here with having this sense of awe and wonder over Christ, over, over his birth, and, and, and that he came, you know, not just his coming, but what he came to do to rescue us from sin. I think in many ways we just sort of don't have this sufficient sense of just great awe and wonder and passion and zeal for the Lord and just this awe and wonder over, over the gospel message and, and what Christ did for us. If we were just so blown away by Christ, if we were so blown away by this wonder that, that he did, that he came, he became one of us, God most high, becoming a human being, going to a cross, just having the wrath of God poured out upon him, also that we might be forgiven, saved from our sin, be restored to him, have everlasting life. If we were just truly blown away by that and just so delighting and rejoicing in that the way we ought to, again, the natural response would be, I, I can't keep this to myself. It's just too wondrous. It's too glorious. And if we were just so passionate for the Lord that, that it's sort of like, I'm just going to obey him no matter what, we'd be faithful to his command in regard to the Great Commission. But I think all too often it can be easy to just sort of grow lukewarm. We sort of lose that red-hot passion. We sort of lose this sense of awe and wonder about things, about the Lord, about, about his birth and his death and his resurrection. And it just sort of becomes, you know, something we've heard a million times, and yeah, that's great. But, but there isn't that, that just great sense of awe and wonder and joy and, and passion that, that drives us and motivates us to, to be faithful and, and, and share this, live out the Great Commission, share the gospel message, share the wonder of Christ, his birth, his death, his resurrection. And so I think, again, this isn't all exhaustive. You could certainly think of others. There are maybe ones that you're thinking of right now and thinking, oh, Pastor Steve didn't say it, but I think this is something else that maybe keeps me from living out the Great Commission, sharing the gospel. Maybe some of these resonated with you, maybe some didn't, but I think these are sort of some major ones that most Christians would sort of point to and say, yeah, that, that being honest about it, that's something that, that kind of keeps me from, from living out the Great Commission and, and sharing the gospel message. But now, instead of sort of focusing on all the things that keep us from, from living out the Great Commission, sharing the wonder of Christ and, and his birth, I want to look now at Scripture and turn to somebody who really does faithfully live out the Great Commission. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, so you can flip there. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see somebody, if you think of sort of Paul in his, in his heart and his mind, this is someone who is just so in awe and wonder and amazed by his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's just so blown away by the gospel message, by the reality that God became man and went to a cross, rose on the third day, all for him, all for us, in great love for us. He, he suffered, he endured the cross to restore us to himself, to pay the penalty for sin so that ultimately we might be forgiven, have everlasting life. He's just so amazed by that, so in awe and wonder, and so understands this great commission that he has been called to, to bring this gospel message everywhere he goes. And for him, in a very special way, too, as this great apostle to the Gentiles, he understands his calling, and he's just so passionate and zealous for the Lord that he's just going to be faithful and do whatever it takes to live out this calling upon his life faithfully. He's going to be, do whatever it takes, go wherever, tell everyone he possibly can all about Christ, all about his Lord, Lord and Savior, do whatever it takes 
to proclaim this all over the place and get as many people as possible to understand it and turn toward the Lord in repentance and faith. And ultimately, that's the Lord's work to change hearts, but for Paul to do his part in that work. And so I want to read this for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Paul writing, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Right, and, and here you have Paul, again, sort of getting to, if you sort of get to his heart attitude, his, his mindset. He's just so amazed, so taken by his Lord and Savior. He just wants to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so amazed by the wonder of, of what Christ has done, this gospel message that he came, that he died, that he rose, that he's paid the penalty for, sin, for the sins of mankind, for all who would repent and believe in him. That, that people can have forgiveness, everlasting life in him. He's just so amazed, so blown away by this wondrous, glorious good news that he basically is saying, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, and he certainly did. I'll, I'll suffer anything. He certainly did. I'll do anything, and he even speaks to that here, to win as many people for Christ as possible. I'll go anywhere proclaiming this gospel message everywhere I go, and I will do anything to remove any potential obstacle to people receiving the gospel message. I'll do whatever it takes to win people for Christ in his kingdom. And that's what he's saying. Hey, when I go and, and I'm proclaiming the truth of the gospel to Jews, I'll be like a Jew. I'll follow Jewish laws. That's fine. Hey, I, he's saying, I'm a Jew. I grew up a Jew. No problem. When I'm around Gentiles, that's fine. I can go and eat pork. I can be like them. No big deal. I'll remove any potential obstacle to people receiving the gospel message. Right? To the weak, hey, I'll be weak. W whatever people are, I'll do whatever it takes to win them over. He's so amazed by his Lord and Savior, that he just is motivated to go and proclaim this amazing, glorious, wondrous good news everywhere and do whatever it takes for people, not just to hear it, but to receive it as well, right? And I sort of, as I read this, I think to myself and I wish, you know, that there were more pastors with that type of mindset and heart attitude, that there were more people filling the pews of churches all over the country with this type of mindset. And I realize not, not everyone's really a Paul, right? I'm no Paul, we're no Pauls. I, I, I understand that. But nonetheless, I wish this type of mindset were just all pervasive in the church. Where we'd be saying, you know, Lord, I just want to be faithful to you. You've given me this great and glorious commission, and I'm just going to do whatever it takes. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything short of sinning to, to ultimately bring this gospel message to, to all of those who need to hear it and do whatever it takes to get them to respond favorably and to receive it. And that was Paul's mindset. And again, driven by this love, this passion for the Lord, and just the sense of amazement and wonder over what his Lord and Savior had done for him. Again, to come here, to be born of a virgin, to go to a cross, taking the place of sinful man, making atonement for sin, and rising on the third day. And again, just so blown away and saying, I just want to be faithful. I can't contain this message. This message is such great and glorious good news. I have to shout it from the rooftops. I have to tell everyone. People must know about it. And you're calling me to tell everyone about it. And I just want to be faithful to that. And I want to see that mindset 
for myself all the more, for everyone sitting here hearing this message. I want to see that mindset, that heart attitude for each and every one of us. I want to see us in that sense of awe and wonder and amazement, just naturally overflowing with this burning desire and ultimately living it out of, of sharing this wondrous, glorious good news all about Christ. And so I want to close as we sort of think of our, our application and sort of a closing challenge. I want to close with really a question, and it's this. With whom will you share the wonder of Christ's birth this Advent season? And we should be doing this at, at all times. It's not like, oh, during Advent, we share the gospel. We talk about how Christ was born and, and, and what he came to do. But then once Advent's over, you don't need to do that, right? Certainly, this is in all seasons. But, but how much more so in the midst of Advent season as we're focusing on Christ, his birth, and, and why he was born, what he came to do, how much more so ought we to be sharing this wondrous message of Christ and his birth, the gospel message? And so the question is, who are we going to share this wondrous message of Christ, his birth, his death, his resurrection, who are we going to share that message with this Advent season? Because if we're honest, we have family members who, who need to hear it, who don't understand, who don't belong to the Lord. We have friends who need to hear it, co-workers, neighbors. There are people all around us. In our daily routine, we bump into people everywhere who don't know and desperately need to know. And the question is, are we going to share it with them? Right? Are we going to be faithful to the Lord's command, to this great commission, and, and tell them? Are we going to have that natural response as we're just sort of filled with awe and wonder over the Lord and, and his birth and just the wonder that he came and, and died and rose and just in that great and abundant wonder and joy saying, I can't contain it. I have to tell people. And are we going to then go and do it and tell everyone as we bump into people in our daily lives, as we have conversations with our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, all of them, are we going to share or not? And I hope the answer to the question, who are we going to share this wonder of Christ's birth with this Advent season, I truly hope and pray that it doesn't wind up being nobody. I think if we're probably honest with ourselves, all too often we can go through sort of a four-week season and not really share the gospel message with anyone, not in any significant way. I think that can happen all too easily as we just sort of go through our natural rhythms of life and sort of live out our own agenda. But that's not what we ought to do. I want us to be living out God's agenda and he has a plan for us, and it is for us to share this gospel message, to live out the Great Commission faithfully. And I want to challenge us to really live that Great Commission out, to share the wonder of Christ's birth at every opportunity this Advent season, all for the Lord and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. For you, God the Son, to become a human being like us. Not for no reason at all, but for a great purpose, with great intent. To rescue us from our sin, and at great cost to yourself. And as we think about that, may we just be so amazed. May we just have this sense of awe and wonder that God would become a man and suffer and die for lowly, sinful us to rescue us from our sin. May we be so taken by that, so amazed, so blown away, that, and so filled with joy over this wondrous, glorious news that we just can't contain it. That as we leave here this Sunday, we would just have such a joy overflowing in our hearts, an amazement and wonder in our hearts, that as we just bump into people, whoever they may be, we would just 
not even be able to contain it and keep it to ourselves, but in that wonder and joy just overflow by proclaiming this great news, this great wonder of your birth and death and resurrection. And Holy Spirit, may you give us that sense of awe and wonder. It's all too easy for us to grow lukewarm toward things, to lose that sense of wonder, lose that joy, lose that passion, that fervor, to just go lukewarm. But may you stir within us a great fire for you and a great sense of amazement and joy over you and what you've done. And may it drive us to faithfully live out the Great Commission this Advent season and even on and on after that, Lord, until the day that you call us home to yourself. And may we do it all for you, for the building up of your kingdom, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to take some time to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is something I'm always excited to celebrate. I know I say that oftentimes. I mean it all the time. I really do love celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's just such a a wondrous thing that, that we are called to do. This is something we do as the Lord's people, to, to celebrate Christ, to remember him, to, to honor him, and to remember and honor and celebrate his atoning death on the cross. And this is something that Christ commands all of his followers to partake of. So if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've truly repented and put your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, this is for you. You don't have to be, I know we talked about the membership class and all that earlier in the announcements, you don't have to be an official member of New Hope Chapel to partake of this. Uh, If you belong to the Lord, if you have true faith in him, this is for you. Please join us and partake of this with us. But but maybe you're just sort of, you're not there yet. You you have your doubts, you have your hesitations. You're just not ready to take that step and and trust in Christ, make him your Lord and Savior. If that's the case, that's fine. We're, We're thrilled that you're here as a part of our Sunday service. But we just politely ask you to refrain just from this one part of our service. Uh, not because we love to exclude people from things. By no means, that, that's not the case. But rather, uh, it just isn't appropriate. It doesn't make sense. This is something Christ commands his followers and his followers alone to celebrate. Uh, really is a remembrance and celebration of what he in turn has done for them. So again, if you're just not ready to take that step and follow the Lord, we politely ask you to refrain just from this one part uh, of the service. But before we partake of of the Lord's Supper, certainly we want to make sure that we're going to celebrate it in a way that's most appropriate, most honoring to God. So let's first come before the Lord in prayer and confess our sins. Let's pray. Lord God, what a joy it is, Lord Jesus, to come to your table now to celebrate this to honor you in this way, remember you in this way. We thank you for the celebration. We thank you for what it represents and remembers your great love in action, your death on the cross and payment for our sins that we might be forgiven, have life everlasting. We thank you. We praise you for it. And certainly as we prepare to partake of this, we acknowledge our sinfulness and confess it. We are by our very nature ever since the fall, sinful creatures. We live out that sinful nature day after day with acts of sin and rebellion. And Lord, we know what we rightfully deserve because of it, but we also know your great grace. Lord, we confess our sinfulness. We repent of it in every way. 
We look to you for forgiveness and knowing we have it and delighting in it, rejoicing in it. That is what this celebration is all about. And we also take a moment in this a moment of silence in this time of prayer to confess for each and every one of us our personal sins to you. We confess these personal sins, again, repenting of them, mourning over our sinfulness, all the ways in which we've disobeyed you, dishonored you. We repent of it all, again, looking to you for forgiveness and knowing that we have it, and just basking in that forgiveness, delighting in it, rejoicing in it, and thanking you for it all. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for coming and dying and triumphing in your resurrection. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Scripture says that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now let us partake of this, the Lord's Supper, to celebrate, to honor, to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his atoning death on the cross and payment for our sins. So the body and blood of Christ for you, eat this bread and drink this cup, remembering our Lord and Savior and how his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we, we are just in awe of you, as we talked about in this message today, as we remember your birth, and not just your birth, but always in view is why you came, why you were born, ultimately to rescue us from our sin on that cross. And Lord Jesus, we are just in awe and wonder of you. We thank you. We praise you for your love, for your coming to this earth to die for us, your willingness to take our place, take our punishment, that we might be set free and have forgiveness. We thank you and praise you for it now and forevermore. And may we always have a sense of awe and wonder over you and what you've done, such that we can't keep it to ourselves, but shout it from the rooftops for all to hear and to receive for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.